0: Good morning. (laughs) Hello, my name is Mr. Josh Curry, as your bulletin says, and I am so thankful for the privilege to be with you and in front of you all, being able to sing and worship without having to wear a mask. (laughs) I'm glad for that privilege that I I have, but sympathize with the the pain uh, that we are going through, having to wear masks, even though I know the true pain is much greater than that. But I'm so glad to be in front of you in the house of our God and our Savior. So without further delay, let's jump into this passage from the Gospel of John chapter 5. We'll be reading two excerpts from it, starting with John chapter 5 verse 17. Hear now God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. Continuing in verse 30. I can do nothing of my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given to me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, then you would believe me. For he wrote, but, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Let's pray. God, Your scripture is given to us for our good. We thank you for the testimony given to us. Help us to receive it, to learn from it, and be empowered by the truth revealed to us by your spirit working in us. We pray for blessings this day. Amen. So this is a vital passage in the entire Bible and one of the most to me at least, exciting chapters in the Gospel of John, as it is Jesus testifying about who he is and confirming what has been said about him in Scripture and backing it up with three incredible witnesses. Now, back in 1971, there was an incredible sermon given in Chicago by Billy Graham, and it was all about this question, who is Jesus? And through it, Billy Graham powerfully talks about all the things that people thought about Jesus, and then goes through so much scripture saying who Jesus is. This is an extremely powerful passage answering that question. And I kind of wish back in 1971, Billy Graham talked about this passage as it is vital because many people say a lot of things about Jesus, but it is vital to understand what Jesus says about himself. Because many people agree that Jesus was a real person. It is very hard, not impossible to deny the existence of Jesus because of the world-shattering, life-changing world world-altering movement that is Christianity, founded upon someone who didn't really exist, at least as a real person. That's just an astonishing uh, thing that people simply don't believe. Even the staunchest attackers of Christianity, Richard Dawkins even, believes in the existence of a real teacher whose name was Jesus. But they do not believe what Jesus said about himself. Many people think that his disciples and his followers said that he was God, but he didn't really say that he was God. But this passage says otherwise. Starting in verse 17, Jesus says that God, his Father, is working, and he is working as well. And the Jewish leaders and people around him were furious because he was claiming to be God. This is something that brought ultimately Jesus to the cross and to death because of his claims of being God. So people who say that Jesus did not claim to be God clearly don't know what Jesus said. Because it goes even deeper than that, that Jesus claimed to be one with his Father that he claimed to be working alongside his father, doing nothing in verse 18 that is outside and apart from his father. Everything that he is doing is unified to the father. His equality and unity with God are shown in this passage, that everything he does is equal to God. His power and authority is equal to God. The knowledge that God has is the knowledge that Jesus Christ has. In verse 20, we see that. And the works that the Father has done are made manifest through the Son. And the love of Father and Son further unifies them as one almighty God. Jesus is God. God. Now, after hearing this, there are two questions that we need to ask, and that the people listening to that definitely were asking, that Jesus answers in the second part of our portion, verses 30 through 47, asking the question of what does it mean to be God? He's claiming to be God, he's claiming to be one with God, but what does it mean to be God, to have power equal to God. What does that mean? And then the second question of why should we believe what he's saying? Is he a madman claiming these things? Why is what he's saying, is it truthful or not? So going into this, uh, these three witnesses that Jesus brings outside of himself, following the tradition of Mosaic law, calling upon two or three, in this case, three witnesses about what Jesus is saying, Jesus answers this question of why we should believe him and also uh, shows how powerful he is. And for this, I want to call upon uh, an analogy for... Uh, Some of you may understand it, many of you may not, but I will explain it nonetheless. There is a TV show that has been airing in existence for a long time now about super powered martial artists in space. And if if you know it, uh, you can tell me afterward. But in this TV show, there are characters fighting each other, challenging each other, getting stronger, and growing as new and more powerful villains come onto the scene for the protagonist to challenge and fight. In this TV show, there is a method and way that characters can view each other's power level. So you can look at someone and know their power level, but when new villains come onto the scene, you don't know their power level. And so how you figure out how strong and powerful these new antagonists are is by comparing them to existing characters that you know their power level. So if there was, say, a character whose power level was 9,000, and this new villain comes in and beats that character who had a power level of 9,000, then you know that this new character must have a power level over 9,000. Thus, we are able to compare the same things when it comes to Jesus with these three witnesses to see what is the power level of of Jesus. And do these three witnesses affirm what he says about himself? Now, the first witness that Jesus brings is John. John the Baptist, this miracle baby born in a very similar manner to Isaac of Sarah, and Abraham, of someone who is past the age and time of having a baby, given a m- miracle in the form of life, in the life of John the Baptist, this baby goes out into the wilderness and grows and becomes a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. This man from the wilderness, dressed in clothes that are not called clothes by many people, eating locusts dipped in honey, this wild man from the wilderness draws a following. People listen to him and don't cast his word aside because he is working powerfully. The following and the impact of John is incredible. He is compared to a burning lamp that people believed in. Tons of people were baptized, whole cities and towns baptized by this John the Baptist, this powerful prophet of God, so impactful that people thought that he was Christ. He was so impactful that those around him thought, this must be the Christ. This man must be the Christ. But he said, no, I am preparing the way for the Christ. That even the king, King Herod, was afraid and impacted by John. That he did not want to put him to death because of the impact and the power level of John the Baptist. And Jesus even gives him an amazing compliment in Matthew 11:11 that no greater man born of woman, no man is born greater than uh, John the Baptist. That is quite a compliment, and yet, when that ama- the amazing power level of John as this impactful speaker and prophet, feared and respected by so many people, comes into a match with Jesus, that Jesus says, John, baptize me. And John says, I'm not even worthy to pick up your sandals. That means Jesus' power level must be so much greater than John the Baptist. John views himself as nothing compared to Jesus and all of John's ministry and work is proclaiming Jesus and witnessing Jesus. The second witness are the, is the works of Jesus, his ministry and his acts, the things that he has done and looking um, back to scripture you notice that um in verse 37 the witness about him through his works is not just about what he has done but what the father has given him to do that's the future things as well that will still bear witness about who he is Jesus did a lot of miracles, healed so many people, so many that the gospel prayers cut out so many, specifically John, as he only includes seven miracles that he intentionally uses to proclaim his specific purpose of writing the gospel. But there are so many times in the gospels where it says, Jesus went into the city, healed all the sick, cast out many demons, healed many lepers. And all those tallies of the miracles he did, when comparing them to the other prophets, there is nothing. The prophets did many miracles, doing many wondrous things, had quite the power level and respect by the people. But compared to the number of miracles Jesus did, there is nothing. Especially when you consider the extra thing that Jesus frequently does and is shown to do through the Gospels. He forgives sins. Now, that's something that none of the prophets ever did, and for good reason. And Jesus was attacked for this, that he was forgiving sins, because the Jewish Pharisees knew, and they said, only God can forgive sins. And they were right. Only God could forgive sins. And Jesus was doing it, forgiving sins, because his power level, his authority, dominion, was on the same level as God's. So all the prophets are as nothing compared to the power of Jesus to forgive sins, this ultimate miracle. Now the third witness, and Jesus notes that you have believed in the witness of John and that the miracles and the things that he's done, you can't deny those. But when it comes to the witness of Scripture, you do not believe. The people in his day, did not believe in him who sent him. They did not believe in the Father. They do not believe in the words of scripture that have been sent by the Father to Moses and many others. And there are so many things I could talk about for the witness of scripture, of how it talks about Jesus and all of the prophecies, especially that in Matthew's gospel are shown to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. I want to talk about a theme in Scripture that shows the power level of Jesus that's communicated through Scripture. That in Genesis 3, after man sinned and after the fall, God makes this covenant and this promise that the seed of the woman will crush the seed of the serpent. The seed of the serpent will bruise the heel of the woman. Of the seed of the woman. And we know that the seed of the woman is Christ and his action of crushing the head of the snake is his death and resurrection, his greatest work prophesied by the prophets and prepared by John. That this action of crushing the head of the serpent is the ultimate showing of Jesus's power. So how big then is the serpent? Because if we know how big the serpent is and how much damage it could deal, that only equates to a bruising of the heel. Then we can know how great Jesus is to squash and crush its head. Now, in my youth, I remember very fondly a story uh, of me watching my grandfather step on the head of a snake that was coming out of the tool shed that it was found in there and my dad spooked it out of the tool shed and it was going around people were were scared but my grandfather calmly put his foot down on its head it was a small snake it's just a garden snake nothing much requiring probably a little courage for my grandfather but no large task for him but how big is the serpent of sin, death, and the devil. Scripture shows us a lot of how big it is and the consequences for sin. And we know just from our studies of history of the amount of atrocities and the impact that death has had upon our life, the wars and the horrors and the evil hearts of men destroying and ravaging a big snake and the power of the devil to constantly trick and deceive those bringing our culture into further, further states of sinfulness as well as man's heart bringing us to utter blasphemy against God with the things that our culture thinks is acceptable, the sins that we constantly commit. Even as Christians, we know how hard the struggle is Against our sinful desires, and how easy it is for our hearts to turn to sin, our desires to become that of selfishness and pride, to want to take glory in small moments, and how it can take just a nanosecond for us to sin in our hearts and in our minds. The simplest things we can commit, heinous sins against God. And that is from people who are actively fighting against sin and fighting for the righteousness that only God can give. But we are the minority in the majority of the world who does not fight against their sinful desires and sins all the time, growing this snake, this powerful force of destruction, death, and evil. But to Christ, just bruises his heel. Because the power of Christ is incredible to be able to squash the head of all of that simply. And these three witnesses show that Jesus is able to do that. That Jesus, as equal to God, is the only one who can do that. And now understanding the power of Jesus and how great he is, For some of us, it may incite nothing. And for those people, I say I understand. Because it is very easy to, when you've been a Christian for a long time here, yep, Jesus is God, yep, he died for our sins, he is great, he's mighty, he's powerful, okay. But to not really understand what it means and to have it as a driving force in our lives So looking at this passage and how we should then view this amazing power of Jesus and this witness of him, first off, we should recognize that the power that brought Jesus back from the dead is inside of us working. And Jesus' great power is for us, not against us. And he has worked so mightily in each one of your lives to bless you, to give you things that you did not deserve in spite of your great sins against God, in spite of my great sins against God, and looking through your lives and asking and finding where God has blessed me, where the ultimate power of Christ has been made manifest for the life that I have, for any and all blessings that I have, for those who love and care for me, for this body of believers who loves and cares for each other, because of the power of God given to us. God has blessed us abundantly and richly and mightily. And we need to take time to be thankful for that, be glad for that, and to recognize that in light of the mighty power that Christ has, that he would stoop to us to bless us. And I hope and pray for myself as well as for all of you that each and every day, we can recognize the power of Jesus and the work that he has in our lives. Things that people say are coincidence or luck or happenstance. are God's working intimately for us to love him more because he loves us with the same love that he loves the father. And that's good news for us it's exciting and I'm glad to be able to have that blessing of the most powerful being in the universe more powerful than I can ever comprehend even from these miraculous examples being able to help us do the math on the power level of Jesus that Jesus is God and God loves us let's pray Oh, Father, we thank you for who you are. We, thankful, we are thankful for your great movements throughout all of history and throughout Scripture, showing the need for you and then coming to us in our hour of need. Be with us, God, and reveal your presence to us so that we may be thankful and grateful for the person that is Jesus, for the God that is Jesus, the only God, our Savior. Help us to be willing to confront those who deny that as you yourself claim to be the sovereign ruler of the universe, God Almighty, amen.